Chapter thirty four of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty three to nineteen thirteen by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter thirty four The Southern Pacific, eighteen seventy six. Before the completion of the San Fernando Tunnel, a journey east from Los Angeles by way of Sacramento was beset with inconveniences. The traveler was lucky if he obtained passage to San Fernando on other than a construction train, and twenty to twenty-four hours, often at night, was required for the trip of the telegraph stage-lined, creaking, swaying coach over the rough road leading to Caliente, the northern terminal, where the long stretch of the railroad north was reached. The stage-lined and the Southern Pacific Railroad were operated quite independently, and it was therefore not possible to buy a through ticket. For a time previously, passengers took the stage at San Fernando and bounced over the mountains to Bakersfield, the point farthest south on the railroad line. When the Southern Pacific was subsequently built to Lang's Station, the stages stopped there, and for quite a while a stage started from each side of the mountain, the two conveyances meeting at the top and exchanging passengers. Once I made the journey north by stage to Tipton in Tulare County and from Tipton by rail to San Francisco. The Coast Line and the Telegraph Line Stage Companies carried passengers part of the way. The Coast Line Stage Company coaches left Los Angeles every morning at 5 o'clock and proceeded via Pleasant Valley, San Buenaventura, Santa Barbara, Guadalupe, San Luis Obispo, and Paso de Robles Hot Springs, and connected at Soledad with the Southern Pacific Railroad bound for San Francisco by way of Salinas City, Gilroy, and San Jose and this line made a speciality of daylight travel thus offering unusual inducements to tourists there was no limit as to time and passengers were enabled to stop over at any point and to reserve seats in the stagecoaches by giving some little notice in advance in eighteen seventy six i visited new york city for medical attention and for the purpose of meeting my son maurice upon his return from paris i left los angeles on the twenty ninth of april by the telegraph stage line traveling to san francisco and thence east by the central pacific railroad and i arrived in new york on the eighth of may my son returned june twenty ninth on the steamer abyssinia and a few days later we started for home while in brooklyn on june fourth i attended plymouth church and heard henry ward beecher preach on serve thy master with a will his rapid transition from the pathetic to the humorous and back to the pathetic was most effective our itinerary brought us to the centennial exhibition in philadelphia on the fourth of july and aside from the peculiar satisfaction at being present on historic ground upon that anniversary i recall with pleasure many experiences and impressions new and interesting notwithstanding the inconvenience caused by the great crowds at the exhibition which had a circumference of only three and a half miles i saw california's small but very creditable display and i remember my astonishment at seeing a man seated before an apparatus apparently in the act of printing letters he was demonstrating an early typewriter and i dictated to my wife half a dozen lines which he rapidly typed upon paper of the various nations the japanese and the chinese attracted me the most machinery hall with its twelve hundred machines all run by one huge corless engine was as noisy as it was interesting the new york herald and the times were printed there daily in the art gallery there was one marble figure so beautifully draped that a young lady passing by said father why don't they remove that lace shawl from the statue during the evening on the balconies of the union league club we enjoyed a torchlight parade never to be forgotten 
on our way west we stopped at salt lake city and as we had been informed that brigham young would be at the opera house that evening we attended the performance i have forgotten the name of the play but rose itinge was the star brigham sat in his private box with two of his wives and as it was a very hot night in july and the building was packed with people his wives were both fanning him assiduously and otherwise contributing to his comfort the following day we called at his residence to see him expecting to renew an acquaintanceship established years before but to our regret he was ill and could not receive us a few months later he died leaving salt lake city early in august we traveled by the central pacific to san francisco where several days were very pleasantly spent with my brother and his family and from there we left for los angeles taking the southern pacific to its terminus at lang's station proceeding over the mountain by stage we arrived at what is now the south end of the long tunnel and there boarded the train for this city among others who went from los angeles to the philadelphia centennial was ben c truman he took with him specimens of choice california plants and wrote letters from various stations on the way to his paper the star governor and mrs downey whom i met in new york in june were also at the exhibition ben truman's visit recalls the enterprise of preparing a booklet for circulation at the exposition setting forth the advantages of los angeles and the fact that the star was the first to propose sending copies of the local newspapers to philadelphia at the same time agreeing to contribute its share in that connection it also referred to a previous similar experiment endorsed by truman in these words this city has never been so prosperous as when the chamber of commerce sent fifty papers each week for one year of the herald express and star to the leading hotels and libraries throughout the country a movement inaugurated and carried out by mr m j newmark those few papers distributed where they would do the most good filled our hotels and boarding houses and sent joy to the hearts of the real estate dealers it's a most trifling thing to do and there's millions in it another interesting experiment in early advertising by means of the stereopticon was made in 1876 when the los angeles photographer henry t Payne exhibited at philadelphia a fine selection of views designed to inform the spectator about southern california and to attract him hither toward the end of may Payne left for the east taking with him a first-class stereopticon and nearly a thousand lantern slides of the old wet plate process the views being the product of Payne's own skill and labor for some time prior to eighteen seventy six the suitable observance here of the anniversary of the nation's independence had been frequently discussed and when james j ayers called a meeting of citizens in the county courthouse on the evening of april twenty ninth and another on may sixth it was decided to celebrate the fourth of july in a manner worthy of the occasion committees were appointed to arrange the details and when the eventful day arrived the largest throngs in the city's history assembled to give vent to their patriotism the procession led by grand marshal h m mitchell assisted by marshals eugene meyer francisco guiardo john f godfrey and otto von polenis mounted on the best groomed steeds of the fashion stables formed towards ten o'clock and was half an hour in passing the corner of temple spring and main streets the woods opera house band the los angeles guard and the los angeles rifleros assisted the parade wended its tortuous way from the Aliso Mills in the northeast to the Roundhouse in the south. An interesting feature of the march was the division of Mexican War veterans. Forty-two of these battle-scarred soldiers, a number of whom had become prominent in civic life, lined up, among them General George Stoneman, Captain William Turner, Dr. J. S. Griffin, Major Henry Hancock, S. C. Foster, 
john schumacher l c goodwin d w alexander and a w timms another feature worthy of note was the triumphal chariot of the french benevolent society in which three young ladies represented respectively the goddesses of liberty france and america fire engine company number thirty eight confidence engine company number two and the hook and ladder company formed another division followed by several societies and secret orders in one float thirteen young ladies represented the thirteen original colonies and in another twenty-five damsels portrayed the rest of the states there were also the forty-niners the butchers and the other tradesmen while george and martha washington accompanied the philadelphia brewery for this local celebration of the centennial streets public buildings stores and private residences were beautifully decorated portraits of washington being everywhere hellman haas and company s c foy the los angeles social club and h newmark and company were among those who especially observed the day there was a triple arch on main street with a center span thirty feet wide and thirty feet high and statues of washington grant and others the railroad depots and trains were also fittingly adorned and at the residence and grounds of consular agent morenhout the stars and stripes with the french tricolor were displayed under the legend friends since one hundred years the pico house was perhaps the most elegantly adorned having a column a flagstaff and a liberty cap with the enthusiastic legends seventeen seventy six eighteen seventy six now for nineteen seventy six to the patrons of the pico house may you live one hundred years no north no south no east no west the roundhouse gardens having been reached the literary and musical program began the band played hail columbia and general phineas banning the presiding officer introduced the rev t t packard who delivered the opening prayer banning then made a short patriotic address america was sung by several church choirs of the city Professor Thomas A. Saxon read the Declaration of Independence, the choir sang the red, white, and blue, and J. J. Ayers, as poet of the occasion, read an original poem. Yankee Doodle came after that, and then James G. Eastman, as orator of the day, delivered the address, reviewing the civilization and wonders of every age, and tickling the hearer's vanity with perorations such as this when the mournful zephyrs passing the plain where Marathon once stood shall find no mound to kiss. When the arch of Titus shall have been obliterated, the Colosseum crumbled into antique dust, the greatness of Athens degenerated into dim tradition, Alexander, Caesar, and Napoleon forgotten, the memories of Independence Hall shall still bloom in imperishable freshness. At the conclusion of the oration, Jacob A. Morinhout, the venerable French representative, spoke very appropriately of the relation of France to America in our great revolutionary struggle after which the rev a w edelman concluded the exercises by pronouncing the benediction the celebration had a soul in it and no doubt compensated in patriotic sincerity for what it may have lacked in classical elegance incidental to this commemoration the literary committee having in charge the exercises had named don j j warner judge benjamin hayes and dr j p whitney a subcommittee to compile the most interesting data about the old town from the spanish occupancy by the founding of the mission at san gabriel and on the fourth of july or within less than two months after their appointment the historians produced their report to which i have already referred a document known as an historical sketch of los angeles county california which in spite of the errors due to the short period allotted the editors is still interesting and valuable 
portraying as it does various characteristics of early life in the southland and preserving to posterity many names and minor facts in the summer of 1875, 1,500 men began to dig their way into the San Fernando Mountains, and about the end of the first week in September 1876, the long tunnel was completed, a bore 6,940 feet in length, beginning 27 miles from Los Angeles. During the course of construction, vast quantities of candles, generally the best, were employed to furnish light for the workmen, H. Newmark and Company supplying most of the illuminants some of the facts concerning the planning building and attendant celebration of this now famous tunnel should be peculiarly interesting to the angeleno of today, as also to his descendants for not only do they possess intrinsic historical importance but they exemplify as well both the comparative insignificance of los angeles at the time when this great engineering feat was so successfully undertaken and the occasional futility of human prophecies even when such prophecies are voiced by those most fitted at the time to deliver them i have already mentioned the interview which governor downey and i had with collis p huntington in san francisco when we presented the arguments of los angeles for the extension of the southern pacific railroad to this point the greatest difficulty from an engineering standpoint was the boring and finishing of the san fernando tunnel and then the small town of los angeles was compelled to pass through much discouragement before she became the southern terminus of the road a selection of the most vital importance to her future prosperity and growth in the first place a mr rice whose office was in temple block represented the railroad company in telling the citizens of los angeles that if they did not appropriate toward the undertaking two hundred and fifty thousand dollars then an enormous sum of money los angeles would be left out of the line of travel and the railroad would be built so as to pass several miles inland compelling our city to make a choice between putting in a branch to connect with the main line or resigning any claim she might have to become a railroad center in fact this is precisely what occurred in the case of visalia and a number of other towns that is to say they are today the termini of railroad feeders instead of a part of the main line as they perhaps might have been when this threat or warning was delivered an agitation immediately set in both to collect the money that the company demanded and to influence its management to include los angeles on the main line judge r m whitney was one of the prominent figures in the local campaign the chamber of commerce through its president solomon lazard also buckled on its armor in behalf of los angeles and entered the lists notably it sent a telegram to the united states senate the railroad as is well known having received land grants of inestimable value from congress and being considered therefore susceptible to influence and this telegram was penned with such classical eloquence that it poured seventy five dollars into the coffers of the telegraph company the net result of the campaign was the decision of the railroad company to include los angeles among the favored stations the politics of the situation having thus been satisfactorily settled the engineering problems began to cast their shadows general stoneman stated that the tunnel bore could not be affected an opinion which was by no means uncommon at the time others again said that people would never be induced to travel through so long a tunnel still another set of pessimists stated that the winter rains would cause it to cave in to which senator stanford laconically replied that it was too damned dry in southern california for any such catastrophe this railroad and the tunnel however were fortunately to become one of those happy instances in which the proposals of man and the disposals of the lord are identical 
for in course of time both found their completion under the able direction of railroad genius assisted in no small way by the gangs of thousands of orientals who did the hard road work as in the case with practically every southern californian enterprise the finishing of this great undertaking was accompanied by a rather elaborate celebration a delegation of san francisco citizens one of whom was my brother met at newhall a delegation from los angeles including s lazard footnote died january thirteenth nineteen fifteen in the ninetieth year of his age End footnote and i thus have the pleasant recollection of having been among the very first who went through the tunnel on that initial trip having arrived at newhall the citizens of the northern and southern cities symbolized by fraternal handshaking the completion of this new and strongest bond between them amidst general rejoicing and with thousands of chinamen lined up on either side of the track each at full attention and all presenting their shovels general d d colton drove the golden spike which bound the rails from the north with the rails from the south after considerable speech-making and celebrating most of the company boarded the train for los angeles where the jollification was concluded with a banquet a ball illuminations and other festivities possibly due to the great increase in chinese brought to southern california through railroad work repeated demonstrations against the mongolians were made here at meetings during the summer shortly after the completion of the southern pacific railroad the people of los angeles became very much dissatisfied with the company's method of handling their business and especially with the arbitrary rulings of j c stubbs in making freight rates on one occasion for example a shipper approached stubbs and asked for a rate on a carload of potatoes from san francisco to tucson stubbs asked him how much he expected to pay for the potatoes and what he would get for them and having obtained this information he allowed the shipper a small profit and took the balance for freight this dissatisfaction on the part of an enterprising community accustomed to some liberality found in time such an open expression that charles f crocker one of the original promoters of the central and one of the owners of the southern pacific who had occasionally visited los angeles came down to confer with the city council at a public meeting crocker as president of the central pacific railroad company was a very important man and i felt at the time that he was most discourteously received by those with whom he had come to discuss the situation the meeting which i attended was held in the small council room and i well remember the oppressive closeness the place was indeed packed people were smoking and chewing tobacco and the reader may perhaps imagine the extreme condition of both the atmosphere and the floor this however was not all when one of the councilmen out of regard i suppose for the railroad president's other engagements asked that mr crocker be permitted to address the city fathers j s thompson a revolutionary councilman stood up and declared that the san francisco magnet would be heard when his time came and not before how this lack of consideration impressed the visitor may be seen from the conclusion of my story after a while crocker was allowed to speak and in the course of his remarks he stated that the southern pacific railroad company had invested a great amount of money and that it was necessary to realize proper interest on their expenditure thereupon isaac w lord one of the spectators after whom lordsburg was named arose and begged to tell a little story an ambitious individual he said who had once built a hotel on the desert at a cost of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars was without guest until one day a lone traveler rode across the burning sands and put up for the night at the hostelry next morning the stranger was handed a bill for seventy-five dollars and upon inquiring why so much had been charged the proprietor explained that he had spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in building the hotel 
that the stranger was thus far the first and only guest and that therefore he must pay his part of the interest on the investment the story to mr crocker's discomfiture brought a loud laugh and it was then before the laughter had died out that the famous railroad man resuming the debate made his memorable threat if this be the spirit in which los angeles proposes to deal with the railroad upon which the town's very vitality must depend i will make grass to grow in the streets of your city and considering the fate that has been falling on more than one community which coldly regarded the proposals of these same california railroads crocker's warning was not without significance the crocker incident having left matters in a worse state than before colonel eldridge e hewitt agent for the southern pacific brought governor stanford to my office and introduced him stanford stated that his road would soon be in operation and expressed the hope that h newmark and company would patronize it i told stanford that our relations with the steamship company had always been very pleasant but that we would be very glad to give his line a share of our business if rates were made satisfactory at the same time the southern pacific railroad company having secured control of the los angeles and san pedro railroad issued circulars announcing that steamer freight would henceforth be classified as this was a violent departure from established precedents it foreshadowed trouble and sure enough rates moved upward from eight to as high as thirty dollars a ton according to classification h newmark and company and hellman haas and company who were the heaviest shippers in los angeles together with a number of other merchants decided to charter a steamer or sailing vessel james mcfadden of santa anna owned the tramp steamboat newport which plied between san francisco and newport landing in an irregular lumber trade and this after some negotiations we engaged for three years on the basis of three dollars per ton having made this contract we entered valiantly into the contest and in order suitably to impress the southern pacific railroad company with our importance we loaded the vessel on her initial trip to the gunwales now cargo on arriving at wilmington at that time used to be loaded into cars brought to los angeles and left in the freight shed until we removed it at our convenience but when the newport arrived the vessel was unloaded and the merchandise put into the warehouse at wilmington where it was held several days before it was reshipped on its arrival in los angeles the railroad company gave notice that removal must be effected within twenty-four hours or demurrage would be charged and since with the small facilities in those days at our command so prompt a withdrawal of an entire cargo was a physical impossibility our expenses were straightway heavily increased subsequent to this first shipment we adopted a more conservative policy in spite of which our troubles were to multiply the southern pacific railroad company named a rate of three dollars a ton in less than carload lots between san francisco and way stations and this induced many of our country customers to trade in that city at the same time the company carried many lines between san francisco and los angeles free of charge potatoes and other heavy items being favored the mask was now discarded and it became evident that we were engaged in a life-and-death struggle had there been a united front the moral effect might have sustained us in the unequal contest but unfortunately h newmark and company were abandoned by every shipper in los angeles except hellman haas and company and we soon found that fighting railroad companies recalled the adage the game's not worth the candle at the end of ten months of sacrifices we invoked the assistance of my former partner and friend phineas banning who was then associated with the southern pacific and he visited the officials in san francisco in our behalf Stanford told him that the railroad company, rather than make a single concession, would lose a million dollars in the conflict. 
but banning finally induced the company to buy the new port which brought to a close the first fight in los angeles against a railroad in the winter of eighteen seventy six to seventy seven a drought almost destroyed the sheep industry in southern california as a last resort the ranchers seeing the exhausted condition of their ranges started to drive their sheep to arizona new mexico or utah but most of them fell by the way again we had the coincidence of drought and a fatal epidemic of smallpox not only leaving death in its wake but incidentally damaging business a good deal mrs juan lanfranco was one of those who died mr and mrs solomon lazard lost a son and a grocer by the name of henry niedekin who had a little frame store where the angelus hotel now stands as well as many others succumbed End of chapter 34